Can I just invite Callum just to come up? Can we give Callum a warm welcome? As you'll know, we've been going through the book of uh, Philippians over the summer term, and we've got a lot of different people coming and speaking who have not spoken in Gateway before, so it's Callum's turn today, um, and we just want to bless him. So let me just pray quickly for you, Callum, and then I'll let you get going. Is that right? Father God, we bless this man right now in the name of Jesus, and we pray that you would fuel him by the power of your spirit to proclaim the words of God with power and with authority, Lord, that will touch our hearts. I pray that you give us listening ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning, and may you bless us richly as we hear the word of God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. How is everybody doing? Um, I I realized actually... um, when I put this on this morning, that I have a really fat head, um, because this does not fit at all. Um, as Al said, my name is Callum. Um, I'm on staff here at Gateway. My wife and I, Katie, lead the worship team and the AV teams. And again, as I mentioned, we're in a series on Philippians. Um, today, we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 1 and chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, do you want to turn there? And we'll kick off. Um, and really, the kind of a summary for the bit we're going to look at is, is right in that first verse that we're going to look at. Verse, chapter 1, verse 27. And it says, only let your life uh, be worthy of the gospel. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus. And when Paul talks about being worthy, he uses the word worthy. What he means is to ascribe worth to something. So what he's saying there is, is live in a way that shows what you believe is of supreme worth, is of really high value. And how is what we're going to find out, hopefully, by being united through humility. Now, I have a bit of a, of a funny kind of love-hate relationship with humility. Um, I love the idea of being humble, of not being pretentious. You know, I know God calls me to be humble. It's good for me. It's good for all of you if I'm humble. Um, but actually, I hate being wrong. I mean, it really bugs me. I, I just don't like being wrong at all. Um, and so if I get into an argument or a debate, I will just argue my point and argue and argue and argue until I can argue no more. Um, you know, and then I'll sulk like an oversized child. Um, so I, I hate being wrong. Um, I don't know about you. Maybe it's not about being right or wrong. Maybe it's about being financially successful. Maybe... You don't want people to think you don't have money, so you buy things that you don't need. Or maybe you want people to know you have money, so you flash things around a lot. Maybe it's about being intelligent. You don't like to people to think that you're, you're not smart, or maybe you want people to know that you're smart, and so you make others feel stupid. Um, maybe it's about being attractive or popular, two things which God didn't give me the problem of, um, <laughs> which on a talk about humility is a great example of false humility. Um, but so just before, before we kind of get going and look at, and look at the scripture, there's, I heard a song as I was prepping for this talk at the start of a Fargo episode on, on Netflix, which really made me chuckle. Um, and it turns out it's by some country singer called Mac Davis. I've not heard of him um, before. But the words just really made me laugh. I was going to sing it to you in my best country accent, actually. Um, <laughs> But when I, when I did it in the practice, Katie kind of started hurling abuse at me and strangely uh, threatened to pull out her eyebrows. Um, so for the sake of my wife's eyebrows, I'm going to play it to you instead. Um, ben, if you can hit play. 
where it's just really made me laugh, because actually I think, <laughs> reality is probably many of us think something along those lines most days. Um, anyway, right, let's start. I'm just going to pray. Father, I just come this morning, Lord, I lift your name up. Lord, I thank you for the time of being able to sing your praise this morning, Lord, of being able to gather as two sites together, Lord, and just have celebration and, and fun together, Lord. I just pray that as I speak this morning, it would be your word that's magnified and not mine, Lord. It would be your scripture that sticks in people's mind, Lord, and not my words. And so, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, when you come and fill us as we spend this time together. Cool. Philippians one twenty-seven. I'm going to start there. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So as I said, that that phrase, living in a manner worthy of the gospel, is kind of the key one that summarizes everything. And and as we read here, Paul kind of says, he's like being in unity. He says, standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And actually, when, when somebody asks you, what does living in a worthy life look like? That's probably not your first answer, is it? It's being in unity with other people. Probably you say something like, um, I don't know, serving the poor or giving all of your money away or moving to uh, a third world country or something like that. You, don't, you probably don't say, be in unity with other Christians. And not that all of those things are, are not true, they are true. But actually for Paul here, the key thing and the thing that underpins all of those other things so that they have credibility is, is unity. And unity, what is Unity. Well, it's not uniformity. It doesn't mean that we all look the same, that we all act the same, that we all speak, wear the same things, whatever. Actually, unity is shooting for one purpose in a community without sacrificing who you are as an individual. Shooting for one purpose in a community without sacrificing your individuality. So I think uh, back to the story of those, uh, the Thai football team and their coach stuck in the caves. And the government had to, um, had to work in unity with other nations. They had to work alongside British people, US people. They had the Thai divers as well. And, um, you know, they had to be in unity for this one purpose of getting these, these boys and their coach out. And the thing I kept reading on BBC News, which is really interesting, I found really interesting, was that... Um, Cave divers, it turns out, normally wear their air tanks on the side of them. And the, the BBC News kept saying the tie divers wear theirs on their back. And it was just a little thing. But I'm like, actually, it explains this point quite well. They're shooting for one purpose together, but it doesn't mean that they have to do things exactly the same way. They can do things differently, still with one purpose in mind. And Paul's talking about unity because it's important to the church. And in fact, in these first two verses, he tells us one of the reasons why. He says, for the faith of the gospel. We're to be united, firstly, because it's how we advance the gospel. Unity is a missional state of being. Okay? Without unity, the gospel loses credibility. How can, how can somebody look at the church 
And how can somebody's life be transformed if they look at the church and there's no transformation? It's no different from outside. Uh, John 13, 34, 35 is quite well known. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now see, all the other things we do, social action, uh, preaching, worship, whatever it might be, um, actually they lose credibility if we're not in unity, if we don't love one another in the way that, that unity displays. That's how we testify to the reality of Jesus, is by being in unity as we do all of these things. So let's pick back up in verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So, one, unity is important to the church for the advance of the gospel. Two, because it's how we face persecution or opposition head on. Okay, uh, Philippi, it was a Roman military colony. And it had lots of retired soldiers in the, in the city. And they kind of had this like unwavering devotion to the Roman emperor as their, as their lord, as they used to call him. And that put them in kind of direct conflict with Christians who had this unwavering devotion to Jesus as their only lord. And so the Philippian church, as Paul's writing to them, they are suffering. They're coming up against opposition. People are hostile to the gospel. They are, they're, they're seeing Christians... Uh, refused to call the emperor Lord and call Jesus as their only Lord. Um, but he tells them, Paul, he tells them that suffering actually is a privilege. It's been granted to them by God. It's how, part of how we live that worthy life. Um, but he also knows, as he's writing this, that when we come up against persecution or suffering or hardship, that actually fear and selfishness tend to rule. Right? We start start uh, forgetting about others and start worrying about how we protect ourselves and our own, right? Um, you know, and actually here in Swindon, we're not maybe coming up against persecution like many Christians are in the world. But actually, the UK right now is pretty hostile to the gospel, isn't it? Yeah? And so it doesn't look like, maybe for us, it doesn't look like getting beaten or tortured or, or whatever or killed, but actually, for us, we are still coming up against opposition. We're still butting up against the hostility of the UK. And unity as a church, not just in Gateway, but as the church, unity is how we face that head on. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, uh, 1 to 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So one, unity is essential for the advance of the gospel. Two, it's how we face persecution or opposition. And three, unity brings joy. Which seems obvious. But, um, you know, Katie and I, we've got a little one-year-old boy, Elijah, who we both love very dearly. Um, but I don't think I've ever experienced anything that's brought so much disunity into our home and family, right? Um, 
you know, he screams. There's been no sleep for like a year. Um, and now he's just over a year old. It's like tantrum territory, apparently. Um, and you just can't help but argue as a couple. You can't help it. You're both tired. Eli's screaming. Um, and you just can't help it. It just happens. And, you know, even, even something small, like somebody sitting on the couch when they should have been hanging out the washing, um, something small. <laughs> what, you assume you're talking about me? <laughs> uh, something small turns into something massive, doesn't it? Some, a small little comment about hanging out the washing turns into this huge thing that leaves you miserable with each other for days, right? But then actually you contrast that with, with when you are working together as a team and you forgive each other, you pray together, you remember to make decisions together and to, to deal with the screaming and the tantruming together as a couple. And there's like this deep joy that underlies it, underpins it all. It's still hard to do, but there's still joy. Unity brings joy even when it's hard. So can I ask you this morning, where are you at? Where's your heart at? Are you in disunity with somebody? Is there a relationship that you know is not right, that's eating you up, that is making you miserable? Where are we at as a church? Where are we at as Gateway? When you look around this room, are there people that you know you need to sort stuff out with? Father, I just pray that you put these relationships on people's hearts right now. Lord, that you'd reveal where there's disunity in our hearts, in Gateway, in our relationships with our friends, our family, our neighbours, our colleagues, whatever it is. Lord, I pray that you would put that on people's hearts right now, Lord, and I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, Lord, that you would enable us to, to go towards people, to put things right, Lord, for the advance of your gospel, Lord, that we may stand firm against opposition, Lord, and for our joy and your glory. Amen. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So this is key, because Paul goes from talking about unity for the end of chapter 1 to talking about humility. And it seems like a bit of a random change, but actually it's because there's no unity without humility. And Paul gives us this this great phrase for understanding what humility means. And he says, preferring one another's interests or putting others above yourself, right? But I think our society actually a lot of the time has kind of a twisted view of what humility is. It looks at humility, and I think most of the time when, when we talk about it, we either mean kind of modesty or, or shame, right? So let me, let me convince you, all those things I talked about at the start, being, being right, financially successful, whatever, if somebody's being kind of flash with something or a bit smarmy or whatever, and you say, you should be more humble, what we either mean is, I think, you should be more modest. Don't be so vain. Don't be so arrogant. Be more modest, Okay. Or we mean you should be ashamed of yourself, of how you're acting right now. Because actually you're not all that. You're not really that wealthy. You're not really that smart. Um, You're not God's gift to women. Like, that's what we mean, I think. Modesty or shame. And actually when we look at humility like that, when our society views humility in that way, 
I think it's just corrective. It's just a corrective action. It's, it's no longer a quality that we have. It's something that we do. And the problem with that, I think, is that it makes humility all about us, which is kind of the very opposite of the point, right? It's about me trying to be more modest or less arrogant. It's about me trying to think less of myself. That's what, we, that's what our society means, I think, when it, when it talks about humility. And there's this great quote from uh, C.S. Lewis, which, um, which says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Which is exactly Paul's point. Prefer others' interests over your own. It doesn't mean your interests are any less. It means prefer others first. Yeah? Think of yourself less and think of others more. Putting others first, it breeds the unity that he's talking about. And in the section just before us, um, just before we started, uh, Paul gives himself as an example of humility. You can, you can read about it afterwards. He gives this kind of very well-known phrase. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Some of you may have heard that, heard that before. And what Paul is saying there, that for him in the situation, Paul's in prison when he's writing this letter. And, and when you're in a prison in those days, it's not comfortable. It's not, um, you know, we don't get fed. There's no TV. There's no nice beds. I mean, they have to fend for themselves. They have to feed themselves. They have to, and he's suffering. And so for him in that moment, and I'm sure he'd say it outside of that moment, but for him, he's saying, actually, for me to die right now is what I want because I get to be with Jesus. I get to be in God's presence for eternity. But to carry on living is better for you, Philippian church, because then I get to serve you. And I get to teach you and shape you and work with you. And so what Paul's doing is he's giving himself as an example. That's what he chooses to do is to carry on living. He's saying, I'm preferring your interests, Philippians, over my own, which are to die and be with Christ. Yeah, and just after our passage, we read about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And there are two more examples of humility. So Timothy is, um, he says, there's no one like Timothy who's genuinely concerned for your welfare. And Epaphroditus, he says, he risked his life to serve, to serve me, to serve Paul. But actually, right at the climax of this letter, and the next bit we're going to read, he gives kind of the ultimate example of, of humility. So if we just pick up in chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So Paul gives us this, this, this hymn, this poem, which, which uh, scholars today think this little section is, to, to show Jesus as kind of the epitome, the ultimate example of humility, to show that Jesus is, is humility given flesh. He puts our interests, right here this morning, he puts our interests above his own life. He puts our interests above his own life. And Matt Owen is actually going to preach on this in a few weeks. I'm not going to say too much more about it. But do you see, do you see the pattern? That Jesus, he humbles himself to death. 
And in his resurrection, he defeats death and he reconciles us to the Father. He reunites us with God. Jesus' humility is what brings us unity with the Father. There is no unity without humility. If you think back to, again, to the, to the Thai boys in the caves, there are thousands of people showing humility in that circumstance, thousands of people preferring the interests of a few boys and their coach over their own lives. And in fact, as you may have read, as you probably have read or heard, one of the guys, one of the Thai divers, lost their life. He knew the dangers of cave diving in floodwaters like that, but he so preferred the interests of these boys and their coach over his own life that he was willing to die for it. It was worth it for him. Is it worth it for you? Is it worth it for you? What is unity? What is the advance of the gospel? What is joy and facing opposition? What is seeing what a church that is truly humble, truly preferring the interests of others in our town, seeing what that could be like, what is that worth it to you? Are you willing to lay down your life, metaphorically or physically, for that? Is it worth it for you? Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul comes back to the why, why we should strive for unity, why we should strive for humility. Right, and at the start, he, said, he kind of said the word, for the faith of the gospel was, was how he, the first thing he used. And here he says, it, says the same thing, but he says it differently. He says, because we are lights in the world, we're to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And to do that, we must be united. There is no unity without humility. So what now for us? What does that mean? Well, I think the first thing to say is that it's not going to be easy. Right? He says we have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not going to be easy. I think if you say that being humble is easy for you, I don't think you've ever really looked at your motives honestly. You know, Katie and I with Eli, when you have a child, you realize how much, how selfish you are, I think. You realize when they're screaming in the middle of the night for food and the last thing you want to do is get out of bed, you realize how selfish you are. That Actually, it's hard to put others' interests before your own. Right? It's nonsense. It's just not easy. In fact, we've been doing the opposite from the very start. Preferring your own interests, putting you first, you being number one, that's the real sin behind every other sin. It's the sin of Adam in the garden, isn't it? It's the sin of saying, I'm God. I'm what's most important in my life. In the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, um, there's this torture device called the Total Perspective Vortex, um, which in the words of the author Douglas Adams, says, when you're put 
into the vortex, you are given just one momentary glimpse of the entire unimaginable infinity of creation. And somewhere in it, a tiny little mark, a microscopic dot on a microscopic dot which says, you are here. And in the story, people are so humbled by this kind of dose of perspective um, that they wander around like zombies for the rest of their lives, kind of overwhelmed, defeated. But actually for us, this is good news, isn't it? Right? (laughs) Without us, God causes the sun to rise. Without us, he holds the stars up at night. Without us, he spins the earth a third of the way around its axis before we're even out of bed. And when we think like this, we realize actually there's no other option than to put God's interests over our own. There's simply no other option, right? His interests are so much greater than ours, we have to put his first. We're humbled before him. And as we are humble before him, it frees us to hand our life over to him. It frees us to prefer others' interests over our own. And to borrow the title of of my favorite Tim Keller book, it's the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Remember C.S. Lewis's quotes, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So have you got the right perspective of God this morning? What's your view of God? Is he something small? Something you take in and out of your pocket when you want him? Or is he this sovereign, creating being that loves you, but is so much greater than you that you can't help but put his interests over yours? There is no other option. Have you humbled yourself before God this morning? Father, we just long for a church that's truly united through humility, Lord. Lord, if we imagine what this church could look like if we truly put others before ourselves, what an impact you would make in Swindon. Lord, that's what we long for. Lord, that's what we long for. We long to see your church rise up. Lord, we long to see your church truly shine as lights in the midst of a crooked generation. Lord, we long to see people in Swindon lifted from the muck, lifted from poverty and addiction and sin. Lord, will you help us to be humble this morning? Will you help us to truly prefer others' interests over our own? Lord, Holy Spirit, I just pray, when you come and fill us now? When you come and fill us now, when you give us humble hearts this morning, when you give us a right perspective of you, I just invite you to stand. If the band can just come back up and play quietly. I just want us to, to respond or to give space to respond. And I think really there's, there's two responses this morning. I think firstly, if you know that there is disunity in your heart, if you know that there is a relationship that you need to sort out, if you know that there's somebody here this morning that you need to forgive, that you need to go towards, that you need to sort out your relationship with, can I just encourage you to do something about it this morning? And how are we going to do that? I want to encourage you to grab some communion, to grab some grape juice and some bread, 
take it to that person. Forgive them, ask for their forgiveness, bless them, pray that God will bring unity in your relationship and then share communion together. And can I just encourage you to do it today? Don't put it off. Please don't put it off. It's essential for us to be in unity. It's essential. Everything we do will have no credibility if we cannot be in unity. So can I just, if, if you know right now that there's somebody on your heart, can I just encourage you to, to do that this morning? There's four tables around the room. If that person, if you know there's somebody, but that person's not here this morning, can I just right now ask you to get your phones out? Get your phones out, text them, and say, we need to meet up and chat. Don't put it off. It's so easy to think, I'll do it after the service, I'll text them, and then actually we grab a coffee, somebody speaks to us, Sunday afternoon, we all take a nap. Um, (laughs) And before you know, it's Monday morning, and you've completely forgotten Right? Can I please don't put it off? Please don't put it off. Get your phones out or grab some communion if the if the person or the people are in this room and please go towards them. And remember that we're supposed to put others' interests above our own as we do this, okay? It's not about who's right or wrong. It's not about what's gone on. It doesn't mean it's easy, it's hard, but that's what humility is. It's putting others' interests above your own. And the second response. I think if you, like me, know that you need the empowering of the Holy Spirit to be humble, can I just encourage you to come to the front? Don't worry about what other people are thinking. It's not you saying that you're too arrogant. It's you saying that you want to be more humble. In fact, I don't even think the opposite of humility is arrogance. I think it's selfishness. But can I just encourage you to come to the front? There's just going to be a few people here that will pray for you. Pray for you simply to be filled with the Spirit again. We're not going to pray for you to have opportunities to be humble because we have those every day. What we're going to pray for is for the empowering of the Spirit, for you to be courageous enough, empowered enough to be humble in those moments. Father, I just pray, won't you speak to people? Lord, we just want to wait on you. Holy Spirit, won't you come and stir our hearts? Won't you come and stir our hearts this morning? Holy Spirit, we just wait on you right now. I just encourage you, if, if you feel like you need to respond to either of those things, can, can you go and do it now? Can you either come to the front? Can you go and grab some grape juice and some bread? Or can you grab your phones and text those people? It's essential for us to be in unity. And how we do that is by being humble. Father, be glorified this morning, I pray. Be glorified in our hearts, Lord. Be glorified in our lives, Lord. Help us to be humble. Help us to be in unity with our brothers and sisters here with our friends and our families and our neighbours and our colleagues.